Prelude. What Christmas Means to Me. Des Moines, Iowa, Christmas, 1987. I'm going to fucking kill you, my mother screams, punctuating her threat with a 12-inch butcher knife. I snap back, giving her a quick once-over. Rail thin and haggard, hip bones poking through faded jeans, thick, frizzy brown hair pulled back by bobby pins, the stench of cigarettes and cinnamon on her breath. She smokes a pack of Camel Lights a day, chasing each hard drag with coke on ice and wads of big red gum. Caffeine, nicotine, sugar. This is what fuels the hurricane of chaos and rage that is my mom. I don't know what I did wrong. We'd been cutting up day-old bread to make stuffing for Christmas dinner, and maybe I was slicing the chunks too big or too small or smiling too much or not enough. Doesn't take much to set her off. We're having guests over for dinner, a huge deal for us. And despite the tension, I cannot help but feel some sort of hope that we will finally have a Christmas marked by those things. Hope, joy, family, togetherness. You know, like those shows you see on TV. Children sing, sleigh bells ring, and snow is falling gently. Popcorn's strung, lights are hung. My boyfriend is coming. Philip is my first true love. Straight A maker, D&D fan, can play Moonlight Sonata on the choir room's upright piano and make it sound like a Bosendorfer grand. Philip comes from a good family, so his mother thinks I'm not worthy of her youngest son. But he defies her and sees me anyway. When you're 16, rebellion just makes romance that much more exciting. I'd seen enough John Hughes movies to know that. Do moms and John Hughes movies wield butcher knives? Truth is, it's not the first time she's hurled the words, I'm going to fucking kill you at me. But this time feels different. Or maybe I'm just fed up. My therapist said I should start standing up to her threats. The knife edge gleams in the kitchen light. I breathe deep and hold my ground. Her eyes go wild. That's when I run. She chases me from the kitchen to the living room, waving the blade and cursing as a hundred tiny lights twinkle from our tree. Well, that's it, I think, as my mother slams me against the wall. So much for my sweet fantasy TV Christmas. Linda, Dad says. Dad and my little brothers are over by the Christmas tree. He never sticks up for me. So I'm not surprised when his only response to mom chasing me with a knife is a weak, pleading mention of her name. Dad loves me, and he's always there to listen. I don't understand why he can't or won't protect me from her. My mom responds by grabbing and shoving me as I attempt to get away. I'm going to throw you through this fucking window, she growls while shaking me, her long manicured nails digging into my neck. The large pane of glass is the frame for the gorgeous magnolia tree that bursts with flowers in the spring and drips with icicles at this time of year. Gifts are bought, it's more the thought I remember clearly. Just 
I pull loose and dash up the stairs, ducking into my bedroom and locking the door with its skeleton key. Heart pounding, I grab the phone and stare at the touchtone buttons, stabbing the numbers in succession. Nine, one. I've held this phone so many times, staring at the numbers, pressing the first two, losing my nerve. You don't call the cops. Not for situations like this. You just don't. But I can't live this way anymore. With shaky fingers, I punch the final digit. One. Emergency 911, what's your location? The voice on the line asks. My mom's trying to kill me, I say quietly. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Scared that she might be listening, I whisper slightly louder. My mom said she's trying to kill me. Please help me, I beg, quickly reciting my address. No one comes upstairs to check on me, not my brothers, not even my dad. I'm sure he hopes the drama is over. I'm still shaking and my brain spins. I start to feel dizzy. Will somebody really come to help? Minutes later, my father's strained voice echoes up the stairs. Linda, the police are here, he says, sounding surprised. I peek out my bedroom window. Two police officers walk up our front steps, boots crunching on the ice. I crack my door so I can try to hear what they're saying worried that I've somehow made a terrible situation worse. What's going to happen to me? Will they cuff my mother and throw her in the back of the police car? I'm torn between fear and relief when my dad's voice breaks the silence. Tosh, he says, come down here. The officers are looming, thumbs and gun belts, looking me over as I creep down the stairs. They won't arrest me, right? The needle swings back from relief to stark fear. Thankfully, my mom is nowhere in sight. The taller officer peppers me with questions. Can you show me your arms? Are you bleeding anywhere else? Look up to the ceiling so I can see your neck. Is anything broken? What happened here today? They study my scrapes and cuts. I can sense my mother's presence nearby. The stakes are higher now. If she was threatening to stab me or push me out the window before, please, God, do not leave me here with her, I pray. The policemen swap glances. I'm sorry, sir, the tall cop tells my dad. There's really nothing we can do. Your daughter's injuries aren't severe enough for us to arrest your wife, and we can't do anything for your daughter. He pauses. Dad nods. Panic sears me, and my heart leaps back into my throat. However, the officer says, there is a place you can take her if you feel she's in danger. He hands my father a business card with large capital letters on the front. Y-E-S-S. Dad takes the card and closes the door. My mom is watching. I can feel it. Tosh, Dad says, go pack some of your things right now. He rushes into the kitchen and returns with a hefty trash bag. I haul it to my room and frantically begin to fill it up. The Christmas presents I'd unwrapped earlier, a few pieces of my favorite clothes, Ethan Frome by Edith Wharton, a package of Hostess Ho-Hos, someone from Church Choir Youth Group gave me during our White Elephant gift exchange game. 
Do I bring my violin? Surely I won't be at the shelter that long, will I? I pluck the low string and stare at the wood grain, varnish fading from the constant pressure of my hands and chin. Morning has come and you rush down the stairs. Magical time and it makes you well aware of a Christmas time. Music is my lifeline, my life. Music is blood. I'm classically trained, first violin section of school orchestra and sing in the choir at church. I play in the Des Moines Youth Symphony too. I've been working on the Bach Partita No. 2 in D minor. The symphony concert isn't until after winter break, but it's a difficult solo piece and I'm worried about getting my practice in. I catch my reflection in the mirror on the closet door. I'm dressed in a gray wool matching sweater pant set from the Gap. It's the nicest outfit I own. Makes me feel sophisticated and grown. It's Christmas. Philip was coming. The day was supposed to be good. Tosh, come on, my father calls, snapping me out of my daydream. I slide the case back under my bed. A couple of days without practice won't hurt. I head out front, load the trash bag into the back of our Mazda GLC wagon, and climb inside where Dad and my brother Justin are waiting. GLC stands for Great Little Car, but the Mazda is a rusted-out rattle trap with a muffler dragging sparks. It also backfires at the most inopportune times, sounding like gunshots ringing down our street. This does not help my self-esteem. We drive in silence past piles of dirty gray snow and head downtown. I have no idea what to expect. My mind flip-flops, anxiety to hope, imagining some swank old mansion filled with kids like me and a kind motherly figure who listens to our stories, offering comfort and hope. But wait, what if it sucks even worse than home? Dad swings the wagon into the lot. One lone light shines from the building's bland facade. The sign below the light reads Y-E-S-S and in smaller letters below, Youth Emergency Shelter Service. We hurry to the door. It's freezing and in the madness of getting out of the house, I forgot my coat. A shelter representative meets us at the door. He talks to Dad a moment before inviting me inside. Justin follows behind me. I'm afraid the young man can't come in with you, the shelter rep says. In fact, why don't you all just say your goodbyes here? A look of confusion and sadness flashes over my little brother's face. He shouldn't have to be here watching his big sister get locked in a shelter on Christmas Day. I throw my arms around him. I'm sorry, I say, both of us crying. So sorry. My dad stands by, quiet. It's harder to tell what he is thinking. Just doing what he's told, I guess. Might even be a relief for him. We nod and exchange an awkward look. The door closes and they are gone. I walk into the shelter. Everything is a yellow haze in the flickering fluorescent lights. 
It's sparsely furnished with mismatched, crappy furniture that looks like it's been salvaged from garage sales and government auctions. Through the foyer, there's a den where a handful of teens are watching Dukes of Hazard on a giant old console television. The antenna is broke, and the static makes Bo Duke look like he's driving the general through a snowstorm. The teens turn as I step into the room. Hey, look, she's so preppy, one of them cracks. They all start to laugh, and I realize I must look ridiculous to them. The kids here are all in tattered, out-of-fashion jeans and stretched-out tees. They look like street kids, runaways. The heat of embarrassment burns through me as they look me up and down, but I avoid their eyes. What the hell am I doing here? The shelter rep says his name is Steven. He shows me to a room where I meet my roommate, Tracy. Hey, I say, I'm Tasha. She stares through me with cold, dead eyes. Her blonde hair is dirty and matted. I wonder if the sad girl even got to celebrate Christmas at all. I brought my new purple plaid flannel blouse, so I dig it out of the bag. I got this for Christmas, I tell her, but you can have it. I hand it to her, hoping it might break the ice. Maybe we'll bond through trouble and be friends and tell each other the crazy story of how we landed in the teen shelter on Christmas night. Thanks, Tracy says with zero emotion and eyes on the floor. She stuffs the blouse into a rickety drawer and disappears into the TV room. I pull my stuff out of the trash sack, clinging to a little bag of miniature versions of candy that Philip bought me from 7-Eleven a few days ago. Tootsie Rolls, Chico Sticks, Banana Laffy Taffy, York Peppermint Patties are my favorite, and I often lie in bed binging on sweets until my anxiety melts away. I burn through a few York patties and try to sleep, but my mind won't let me rest. I think about dreams of a big family Christmas, squeezing Philip's hand under the table as everyone makes a mad dash to pile food on their plates. About my mom's sudden threat, the long blade shining in the kitchen light, Christmas tree twinkling as her nails gouged my neck, not hot pink or fuchsia neon frost nails, a tasteful shade of beige nude meticulously manicured. My mother might be batshit crazy, but she's a bit exotic and much hipper than the other moms on our street. Sometimes that makes me desperate for her acceptance even more. I am not hip. Even in my matching Gap Ensemble, I am a classical violin playing, scab picking, anxiety-ridden freak, freaking out and trying to sleep in a rundown shelter for troubled teens. Merry Christmas. Life is so fucking weird. Children sing, sleigh bells ring, snow is falling gently. That's what Christmas means.